Good morning, church. Has anybody else felt like we're in the apocalypse with our weather? We either get that scorching, baking, kill us sun, or we get yesterday. And uh, icicles on our nose, a hurricane wind that's going to take us away if we don't have rocks in our pockets. My goodness, the weather's been interesting. On that note, though... If you are a person that watches news at all in the Middle East, it is getting a little bit mm, unsettled. And I hope you're a person that's read some of the prophecies of Scripture, because as Israel gets unsettled and as all the nations around in the prophecies and Scriptures, as they all attack Israel, it is a sign of the end of the times. And I believe that in a lot of ways we are. Now, I, I have a question for you just before I pray and start the service. Uh, what, what is the church? Is it this building? No. Is the church uh, all of you people? So there's a couple of right answers here. Yes. Is the church you as an individual? The reason I said I was reading Romans 15 in my own devotions this last week, and that's the weaker brother passages, two passages in the New Testament talks about that. But as I was reading Romans 15, I was thinking, in whatever given situation, I am either one of the two. I'm either the weaker brother or the stronger brother that feels I have freedom to do stuff. I'm either one or the other. But guess what it says to both of them? Love one another. Have grace for each other. Let me warn you about rumors and rumors of wars. And again, that's going to sound counterintuitive with what I said, but be so careful of what the internet's passing around. And be so careful about blacklisting or putting down another Christian or another church. That isn't what Christ desires. He desires unity. He desires oneness in faith. And you cannot read the scriptures. What breaks unity? I'll be really blunt here. It's pride. It's when I think I know better than everybody else or I, that person is, I'm not going to be with them anymore. You are the body of Christ. Never, ever forget that. And don't start running each other down and getting mad and not talking to each other. That isn't what Christ desires. He desires us to be unified. Now, as I've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians, and we had Caleb and uh, Pastor Rod, each week I particularly try to give you one little sort of insight to the city of Corinth. And uh, uh, Corinth, by the way, was and I, I hate this word, it's a Greek word and it's hard to pronounce. It was on an isthmus, I think I said it, isthmus. I, I even had to try to spell it out yesterday to kind of look it all up. An isthmus is a little narrow piece of land. And what's interesting in the Mediterranean, if you've looked at the big Mediterranean ocean, it's kind of an inner ocean, inner sea. It is connected to the big ocean by a narrow opening. But in the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, you have Corinth up in Macedonia area. And what, what was happening, especially if you look where Italy or Rome in those days was, uh, merchant ships would have to leave Rome and they would have to come down and either go like 
this isthmus with uh, Corinth, it, it then juts out into a big piece of land, and they used to have to go way south where there was wicked, awful storms, and it would take them about another week or two to get around there. It was just that treacherous. So what happened to Corinth, Corinth was a, a city that had a lot of fertile land. I, I even looked up uh, this week that they had all sorts of industry. They used to make these beautiful bowls. They were called Corinthian bowls. Uh, they used to be into so, but, but here's the kind of really big thing about Corinth. Now, it was a port city on this isthmus, and you would bring your ship and park it at the shore on the west side or the east side, and they would unload everything from your ship and they'd take it by cart, uh, oxen cart, over the isthmus. It was, I think, 10 miles. And they would put it on the shore. Once your ship was unloaded, then they would take your ship. Now, ships weren't like they were today, so they could actually, and they would have logs they rolled it on, sometimes wheels, whatever it is. And they would take your ship and put it on the other side. And this would take less than a day and you would save all the storms and all the stuff. So what this made Corinth was it was a port city with influence from all over the place because it was a cutoff point for all sorts of countries. And uh, so uh, uh, the whole nation, now I told you last week that Corinth was a Roman city for the most part, had some Greek roots, had some uh, Macedonia kind of feeling in it too, and uh, Phoenician, a little bit of that. But Corinth really was a cosmopolitan city, not unlike Grand Prairie. Uh, Grand Prairie, everybody's, anybody, who was born in Grand Prairie that's here this morning? Uh, I'll say 10%. The rest of you were born somewhere. We're like that kind of cosmopolitan city. And one thing that I began to learn over the years, or begun to learn over the years, is when people are away from their influences, their family, their fathers, their mothers, and they come to a place like Grand Prairie, they often are more open to the gospel. So that was Corinth. Corinth was open to all sorts of things. I, I had a PhD candidate one day tell me about his doctorate. And he did a doctorate where people moved from small town Saskatchewan out to the lower mainland. He pastored a church in the lower mainland. And he discovered that people that moved away from their little towns, their morals went to double H-E, double hockey sticks in a handbasket. It, it just went badly, and uh, it was an interesting phenomenon. But the other thing he noticed is they also were open to hearing different things. So, so Corinth was like that. Corinth, the, the people, the Corinthians, they were open to hearing about Jesus. Yeah, they had moral issues, they had all sorts of other issues, but they were open to the gospel. So Fertile Valley, uh, lots of money, lots of trade, not unlike Grand Prairie, and it was an, an incredible city. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, you are beautiful. <laughs> and we are your church the bride of Christ, and oh God, keep us unified. COVID has just stirred something. Oh, we're going to talk about it this morning, something up in us. And so many of us have returned back to our old coping mechanisms. And these coping mechanisms, uh, they're not terribly spirit-led. There isn't freedom, there isn't joy, 
And I just pray, Heavenly Father, as we go through your word this morning, as we look at the old, the old ways, the old methods, the old coping, that we will be able to release ourselves, <laughs> humble ourselves to the new covenant, to life in the spirit. Uh, this is just like a repeat of last Sunday, oh God, but <laughs> help us to understand it. Help us to get our heads around it. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray these things. Amen. Now, as I was praying, if I've noticed anything in life, is that all of us have developed coping mechanisms. And you understand what coping mechanisms are. Coping mechanisms are when something happens, you have an automatic response. Now, uh, some of those automatic responses are, um, uh, let's say you grew up in an abusive home and you meet a really tall, loud guy like me, uh, your response likely to a loud, tall, outgoing person like myself is you will get really defensive, you will get really careful. It's a coping mechanism. And I've noticed this even as my daughter from Abbotsford was up visiting, so I had her two kids and I have my other three grandchildren and they were in my house a lot. And we've got a little two-year-old and a three-year-old. Well, the two-year-old, she has some coping mechanisms she's already developed. I saw her do this yesterday. Um, she she was, uh, came up to the kitchen table, and my wife just was pushing her chair back right at the same time. Saw it hit her. Oh, that hurt. I hit myself a little hard there. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get a nosebleed. Man, nothing like good graphics for you. She got hit in the face and it hurt. And I could see, I saw it. I saw her head go back. And I, I just said, Carolyn, my wife, I said, you just backed into Evie. I mean, into little Una. So she turns around and says to little Una, are you okay? Una looks at her. And Una does this all the time, by the way. She looks at my wife and goes, I'm okay. And she walks off. Well, we have begun to learn that's her coping mechanism because she is, she's two years old and she's already learned she doesn't want to show weakness or cry in front of people. And so I notice her pitter-patter off and I could hear her wailing off in the distance. And oh, it just, like the little, she is, if you've seen, she's got to be the cutest, cutest two-year-old I've ever, I'm mean, a little biased, but she is so cute. And just, my wife was mortified, and she went up to little Una's, I'm so sorry, and Una's wouldn't look at her, and all this kind of, you see, she's got these coping mechanisms, and we all have them. And I don't know if you understand this, but before you came to Christ, even if it was two, three years old, you've already developed a coping mechanism of life without God. And those coping mechanisms are, it, it, the scripture describes it as our old nature, our old man. That which we wish we would do, we don't do. That what we should, I mean, that's that whole Romans 6 and 7 stuff. We have these coping mechanisms and they're constantly, constantly nipping at us. I want to tell you, and this is again being really blunt and honest, and this is looking at me first. COVID made a lot of my old coping mechanisms come out. And I have seen when we get into crisis, when we get into whether it's fear or, or whether, and, and I would argue fear was all over, it didn't matter who you are, what side of the fence you went on, or, or whether you get into uh, self-righteousness or, or I know best, 
whenever humility leaves us, whenever we don't operate in that Romans 15, weaker brother, stronger brother, love each other attitude, it gets us into a place that we dare not be. And I am calling you, according to the scriptures, get the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look at the scriptures today, for where the Spirit is, there's freedom. And, you know, the real tell as to what coping mechanism you're using, whether it's the do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. The real tell in what coping mechanism you used is, is look, look at that Galatians 5, that, that sins of the flesh are listed first. Do you remember what they are? There's, there's division, factions, uh, there's anger. Uh, the tell is what is really in your emotions. And, and I will argue with anybody. They go, well, Jesus overturned the temple tables. He was so mad. And I go, you know, I, I will argue with anybody. Only Jesus was able to do that in righteous anger. I could never do that. And we, we read a couple of weeks ago, or we saw from Caleb's sermon a couple of weeks ago, that even discipline of a brother who's sinning can go too far. And we can get into this demonic battle where, where Satan is actually devouring you and you think you're being so good and so right. But kind of look at your heart and see where your heart is. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7. And we're going to see right off the bat that we can either have a dim glory... An old coping mechanism that, yeah, helped you to cope him. Here's an interesting little tidbit or fact for you. The highest suicide rate is between, I believe, 14 and 18. Do you want to know why? Because they haven't learned coping mechanisms yet. And, and they literally get, they've just become adults, their hormones have kicked in, and, and life is like this. It's like the apocalypse in weather. I remember being a teenager. One day I wanted to drive off a bridge. The next day I thought I had the world by the tail. I remember those feelings. And, and eventually we learned coping mechanisms. Unfortunately, some of them aren't healthy. I'm okay. And we go off and we cry. Oh, we've just coped. We're not going to kill ourselves, but we're not really healthy. Or you go off and you drink or whatever it might be. But let's look. It's either the dim glory, the old methods, or it's a connection with God. And we've been working really hard as an elders and staff over the last couple of years to teach ourselves and to practice ourselves what we call hearing God. Now, we as a staff and as elders and as a church, whenever we get together, we try to have a hearing God time where we just, we, we might read some scripture and then we ask people, what, what did God say? And most often it's scriptures that God speaks to us with, and it usually so fits in. But 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, as it deals with this whole topic, the old way, with laws etched in stone, by the way, that's a direct reference to the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's talking about the whole law. <laughs> but you remember, Moses went up in the mountain, and the finger of hand wrote out some commandments. And generally it's looked at and viewed on as the Ten Commandments. And the first ones got broken. Do you remember why they got broken? You know, that old faded glory that we're going to talk about. Moses came down from the mountain. We're going to read about it. And he had to put a veil on his face. People couldn't even look at him. This is the old glory. And it's incredible. But it's the Ten Commandments. And, 
And I would argue that even the Ten Commandments, as good as they are, we like to write them in the courthouses and all these other places, that's the old law. Just, just be aware of that. These uh, laws etched with stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. In other words, Moses went up there. He was with the presence of God. The presence of God so went into his soul that as he's coming down off the mountain, his face just shone, and it was fading already. It wasn't something that could stay. Verse 8, shouldn't we, listen to this, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? Did you hear that? And what's the new way? Think about it. It's not the Ten Commandments. Lots of good stuff there. But you need to understand the only time the New Testament repeats stuff in the Old Testament, generally speaking, it's always the moral laws. It no longer repeats the dietary laws. It no longer repeats the uh, religious laws. That, you know, yet, well, the Pharisees would walk backwards to church. Now, that wasn't even written in scriptures, but... It talks about the moral laws in the New Testament, but never this kind of old law stuff. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Remember last week we learned how when you're born again, you're changed on the inside. You see the law, the Old Testament law, the old religion, the old legalism was an external thing to try to help you. If the old way which brings condemnation, the text in verse 9 says, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us, listen to this, right with God? That's the whole point. Right there. Making you right with God. And let me ask you, are you right with God this morning? Maybe this is all so new to you, or, or maybe as a child you kind of delved into it a little bit, and there was some roses put up at some church someplace, but it's been a long time. And you understand, you've been coping with life, but let me ask you, first and foremost, are you right with God? It's quite simple. We must and we need to admit we're willing and willing to say that you need God. See, so many times we just try so hard with our coping mechanisms and it's kind of working, but it's a fading glory at best, especially if it's based in the law. It's got a little bit of brightness, but it's fading. Maybe you've tried to change or be better, but I want to be blunt and honest here. You need Jesus' forgiveness. You need to make your relationship with God right. You need to have God on the inside of you. Verse 10 goes on to say, in fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way, of being born again, of being a follower of Jesus, of having the presence of God on the inside of you. Verse 11, so if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious, listen to this, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? It does not fade. My prayer this morning for these five roses as I was with the prayer team in the gym, my prayer was that they would start to discover who they are in Christ. 
do you know that right in your bosom, if you've prayed to receive Jesus, right inside of you is everything you need. You don't need to put on anything external. Oh, and I've always said this, and I'll keep saying this. Those who walk in religious, judgmental, rule-based Christianity, they might look quite a bit the same to those led by the Spirit. Because the Spirit will call you and say, don't do that, don't do this. And he'll give you power to do it. So it might look in action the same, but the one in the law is usually bitter and angry and, or, or just sad or drudging around. The one that's got life in the Spirit, it's got life. It, it's joyful. Now, if you Google the 12-step program, you'll come across a whole bunch of different words to it. So I didn't care necessarily what I found. So I'm going to read the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, because this was an 1800s thing where the two founders knew that people were using a coping mechanism, alcohol. And a lot of our coping, and I would argue that all coping mechanisms that don't lead to Jesus, they exact a toll on us. They all do. Let's say your coping mechanism is shopping. What's the toll? You run out of money. Can't eat food. Your coping, you know, a lot of our, or you get angry, you get defensive. What's the toll? Nobody wants to be around you. So here's the 12-step program. I wanted to read them to you, so let me do that. The number one of the 12-step program is we admit we were powerless over alcohol, and I'll say <laughs> over the world, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, we came to believe that, our power, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Number four, we made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now, when they go through this 12-step programs, each week they, they go into one of these points. And so point number four, they would write down a moral inventory of themselves. Who are they really? Number five, we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Now, that's usually in the AA meeting. Sometimes you might have got a call by somebody and said, I need to tell you, I need to confess to you, I need to say who I am. Number six, we were entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Number seven, we humbly asked him, God, to remove our shortcomings. This is the internal stuff going on. Number eight, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Number nine, we made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Number 10, three more to go. We continue to take personal inventory, so it's not just a one-time thing. It's always a self-examination. And when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. Number 11, we sought through, listen to this, prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand him. Now this is a little of the new spin on it praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
And number 12, and the final point, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Now, I can tell you, rising above our ministry in town uses these basic principles, and they're rewritten into whatever uh, situation they are, but when I read these 12 principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's one word that comes out for me. And you're going, you probably could say a lot of words, but I'll, I'll tell you. One word that comes out to me is humility. I mean, think right back to the Garden of Eden. I can be just like God. I can be better than God. And, and God wasn't being rude when he put him out of the Garden of Eden. I mean, because God knew there can only be one God. I mean, the atom itself is held together by his will. So if I come along and say, I'm God, if I get so arrogant and proud in my soul, it just isn't good. You may ask, as we've been going through the text, what was wrong with the law? What was wrong with the Ten Commandments? I like them. There's a few scriptures in the New Testament that describe what the law was all about, but Romans 5.20 is kind of, and it's the only passage I'm going to use this morning outside of the text, but Romans 5.20 says this. The law was brought, listen to this, so that the trespass might increase. In other words, we were already a sinner. In other words, we were already full of pride. In other words, we were trying to be God in our own lives, and God brought about the law so that, as you, if you read the book of Romans, it talks about so that our sin would increase. In other words, we would try hard and it would even get worse. And this is all to bring us to that point of humility and submission to God. And the text goes on to say it all, and we must and completely need to understand it. If you want to turn your life around by reaching out to God in humility, and that humility, honestly, it can really change you. And it can transform you. And it can bring you life. But understand this, point number two of my two-point sermon. Faith powerfully removes blindness. You're going, well, this sounds all really interesting. This is really fascinating. But I want you to understand as we read the text further, faith in Jesus powerfully removes blindness. Verse 12, listen to this. Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. Oh, my laptop, my, my iPad just did it. Oh, it jumped on me. One of these days I'll figure out how to stop that from doing that. Where were we? There we are. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the old coping mechanism, the old religion, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Jesus. Jesus 
one of my elders, Barry Schmidt, loves to say this. Jesus plus nothing. Only Jesus can change you. Only Jesus can open your mind up to the truth. And when you're reading all the conspiracies, and I'm sorry, I'll call them that, that are on Facebook or wherever, when your friends are forwarding you stuff, pray and ask Jesus, please show me the truth. And, and if you think I think I know what the truth is, I don't. In fact, during COVID, I've decided I have no idea what the truth is. I've just, I don't. I don't know what the truth is. It has been so hidden. and so, so I pray and I go, God, what's my response? How should I behave? What should I do? Verse 14 again. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds and they cannot understand the truth. In other words, <laughs> the old coping mechanisms, the old ways, the old religion, uh, the things that you've learned to deal with life and its harshness and its scariness, they literally will blind you from the truth. Yes, verse 15, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with a veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, listen to this, there is freedom. Do you have freedom? Do you feel freedom? Or is your Christianity kind of drudgery? Or is your life kind of full of all these coping mechanisms that just seem to lead to bad things and they exact a toll? Verse 18, so all of us who have had that veil removed, listen to this, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. You want to see the glory of the Lord? You want to experience that unfading brightness Come to the Father through Jesus. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more, it's a progress, it's in process, less like the old Anthony and more like Jesus, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Oh, my friends. Jesus is the answer. Listen to A.W. Tozer. Now, I've been quoting him a lot, and I apologize for that, but he keeps coming up on my feet, and it always fits with what I'm trying to say. This is a, a little topic called cheap religion. And this was probably written 50 years ago. And I don't know if we've moved on very much. Listen to this. What passes for Christianity in our day is cheap religion. To listen to the current concepts of Christianity, we would conclude it is little more than bits of beautiful poetry, a man-made banquet bouquet of fragrant flowers, a kindly smile for our neighbor, and a couple of good deeds on behalf of a brother or sister. Tozer writes, when I consider some of the elements now offered in Christianity as acceptable religion, I have to restrain myself lest I speak too disapprovingly. I fear my words would be so strong that I would have to repent to them. And I read in the scriptures that there are some things God does not want us to even say about the devil. What do we find surfacing in much of our Christian fellowship? The complaint that God takes a long time to work out his will. 
We do not want to take the time to plow and cultivate. We don't want to find out who we are in Christ. We'd rather go to our old coping mechanisms. We want the fruit of the harvest right away. We want to drive through the drive through and we want to get it now and it's over. Move on to the next thing. We do not want to be engaged in any spiritual battle that takes us into the long night. We want the morning light right now. We do not want to, the cross. We're more interested in the crown. And one of my favorite things as a pastor is to get to know people that have been Christians a long time. I'm not going to tell you the guy's name, but you could probably ask around and find it out. But my life group leader, he's one of the gentlest, humblest, kindest men I've ever met. He's in his 60s. And I've got to know him over the last 13 years. And, and if you figure out who he is, he might not like this. I'm not saying his name. He was a, oh, I, I want to say the word. So he was a bad something, a bad donkey. We'll just leave it out. He was really bad. He was a military guy. Uh, so he had a hate on for the church. He had an attitude. Uh, he was aggressive. Um, he... he uh, used alcohol a lot, he smoked, he was like a chain smoker, and that was his life. How Christ ever got a hold of the guy, I have no idea, no idea. But when he talks, he weeps. And I know this guy now, 40 years after he came to Jesus, and I can tell you that this glory, this unfading glory has caught a hold in that man. And I say to Jesus, more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. So in conclusion, stop trying to gain God's presence through the law. Stop trying to go through life with your old coping mechanisms. Start walking in the spirit which brings life. In faith, in faith in Jesus, receive the glory. Or we could call it the presence of God. And actually work at a new humble posture. Always, like AA, always say, where am I at right now? What, what's my attitude? What's my heart? Read Galatians 5. And I do it often. I go, ooh, am I exhibiting that sins of the flesh character? Or am I in the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Am I Romans 15-ing it? Am I having love for people in the church that drive me absolutely bonkers? Or am I trying to get even? And I'm trying to get vengeance on people. I mean, Romans 12 is very clear. I, Romans drives me crazy. Romans 12, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Where's your heart at? Are, are you letting the old mechanisms run your life, the old law, the old ways? Or are you becoming more like Jesus? It's in you. It's all there, all you need. You just got to get a little more discipline. May I suggest, now this is going to be the weirdest thing you've ever done in church. If you have your iPhone, your Android phone, bring it out. Just humor me. And uh, if you don't want to go along with me, just pretend and, you know, look at your sports scores or your whatever or the latest. Don't put your video on because we don't want to hear the sound. Take out your phone. And I, I want you to go to Church Center app. And if you haven't loaded it, I'm going to tell you, load it up because it's full of a lot of good stuff. 
And when you go to Church Center, Center app and you've signed in, because I think there's about five churches in town at least that use it and you've signed up our church, and look at the very bottom and you will find a tab that says events. This is really important. We need to know who we are in Christ. I learned this from Neil Anderson years ago. And a lot of you need to know who you are in Christ. You need to get these unfading glory. Go to the events tab and click on the way discipleship and sign up. You will, the way discipleship, it has 14 or 18 less, I forget how many, and it, 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 the first section is called abide. And it's really talk. It, it teaches you good brass tacks principles of how to connect with God every day. And our elders have committed to lead groups of people through this. You know, some of them are even willing to do it on Zoom if you wish. But just go in there and sign up. And, and I hope all of our church goes through the way. A lot have, about I think 150, 200. The second part of the way is grow. So you learn how to abide, how to connect with Jesus, how to, how to stay and discover who you are in Christ and walk in the Spirit and all that kind of stuff. And then the second part talks about growing and, and how you grow, like the AA model where you're kind of doing some self-reflection and you're going into the Scripture. And I've told you about some of the things I've been trying to grow in. And every once in a while my wife will see some new Scriptures on my mirror because God has said, okay, I want you to grow in this character. I want you to grow in that character. And I need to understand it's not me pulling myself up by the bootstraps. It's all on the inside of me. I just have to abide in Christ. I just need to connect with him. And if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, remember I talked about humility, and that's where all of us, if you took your phone out, you know, some of you are like, I'm not taking my phone out. I just say, where's your humility, man? Take a look. Well, I'm not signing up with any group. Oh, come on. Come on, it'll change your... I, you know, I don't know. There must be somebody, but I haven't had anybody yet tell me they hated the abide material. Nobody yet. Everybody. All my elders, all my staff, they all loved it. It's really good stuff. And by the way, they're hidden in that material is the hearing God material, the six lessons. But let me just encourage you, who you are in Christ. And, and don't get comfortable. Don't, don't say to yourself, well, I'm 73. What more could I be? Some humility. <laughs> and if I've had to have anything in the last three or four years, it's humility. And I told you, here I am, now 60 years old. I originally was being mentored in a church renewal system by a 30-year-old pastor. And I learned lots. So just get over your pride. You won't regret it. You need to grow. But if you don't know Jesus this morning, just humble yourself and say, Jesus, let's close our eyes and pray. <laughs> and just say, Jesus, I believe in you. And I'm tired of my old coping mechanisms. And I want to have you in my life. I want to be changed from the inside out. I know that you died on the cross to take my sins. And I receive that. <laughs> and in humility I say, come into my life, God. I want that glory that doesn't fade. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now if you prayed to receive Christ, say, please tell somebody. Write it on a Let's Connect card. Go on to our uh, Church Center app, you can write something in that. We'd love to be able to follow you up on that. But God wants to move in this church. You're the body of Christ. You're to be unified. You're to be loving each other. Let's stand, please.
Now, next Sunday will be my last Sunday preaching. And I'm going to end with a different verse. But today, I think it's important that I end with this 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And if you ever get discouraged, man, I've tried so hard to be a follower of Christ. Oh, please sign up for the way material. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, may he, you see where it's going, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Do you believe it? Amen? Amen. Fellowship in peace.